last week we started a new series called Last Arrow, Last Arrow. And, and, and this series is about defining moments and urgency. We want to live like life depends on it, because it does. We want to live life to, to the fullest like Jesus said we could, but we learned last week that that doesn't accidentally happen. You will never accidentally end up with a full life. It takes a decision, a defining de decision to, to, to go all the way, to be all in, to hold nothing back. And I made this statement last week, and it's, it's kind of the guide for the rest of this series, the theme for, for the rest of this series, and, and that is that I'll never be completely free until I'm completely committed. I'll never be completely free until I'm completely committed. And maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Jason, I, I, I'd give almost anything to be free, or I'd give almost anything to be happy, or I'd give almost anything to, to be satisfied. I'd give almost anything to, to be done with the old and, and move on with the new. I would do almost anything, and if you would do almost anything, then you're almost there but you're not there yet because you'll never be completely free, satisfied, content until you are completely committed. It will require letting go of the last part that you're holding on to. Going all the way, holding nothing back, giving up the last part that you're holding on to. And so today we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament book of First Kings, First Kings. And this is another story in the collection of stories about two prophets. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know how familiar you are with the Old Testament and the Bible, but there were two prophets. We talked about one last week. His name was Elisha, and Elisha's mentor, his name was Elijah. It just kind of coincidentally worked out that their names were almost identical, but they are not. There's Elijah, who was first, and then there is Elisha, who was second, and this is not the point, but this is kind of random awesome God stuff here, that Elijah was this amazing prophet who did these unbelievable miracles, like, like the craziest, most miraculous miracles in the Bible, crazy stuff, okay? And then Elisha asked God, said, God, I want, the, the words that Elisha used literally was, God, I want a double portion. In other words, Elisha was bold enough to say to God about Elijah, I want to be twice the man he is. And God did it. And so in the Bible, there are seven recorded miracles about Elijah. He came first. And guess how many there are about Elisha? Fourteen. That God gave Elisha exactly what he asked for, that he did twice as, as many miracles. And, and so today, we're going to read about a story about Elijah. Last week, we talked about Elisha. We're going to talk about Elisha again next week. But today, we're going to talk about Elijah, and we're going to start reading the story in just a moment. If you want to go ahead and find that, it's in, it's in 1 Kings uh, chapter 17. But before we do that, I want to read you something else. Uh, it, it's another verse in the Bible that we read often around here. Um, and I, I read recently a, a book by Eugene Peterson, who was a pastor for, for almost uh, six decades, and 
his son told him, every pastor has one sermon. That's what his son told, Eugene Peterson's son told him. He said, Dad, every pastor has one sermon. And Eugene Peterson said back to his son, that's not true. I've preached thousands of sermons. He said, no, you didn't. You really preached one sermon over and over again. That no matter what you're preaching about, it comes back to one sermon. And, and, and this may be, may be my one sermon. I don't know. I mean, I, I got a couple, I guess. But, but we've read this verse so many times. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 7 and 8, this is what it says. It says, you, everybody say me. Me. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Not the pastor, you. How much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully or, or you could say joyfully. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met someone who got really excited or happy about something that no one else around them was near as excited as they were? Have you ever met somebody who cracks themselves up and nobody else gets the joke? You know, you know what I mean? So Andrew and I, Friday night, we celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. Yeah, excited about that. And, uh, and so I picked the restaurant and she picked the activity and... Um, and so I picked the Brazilian steakhouse, which is a very man thing to do, uh, which is fantastic. And then Andrea picked the uh, planetarium presentation at the University of Louisville. Yeah, it was as exciting as you think it was. And, and, and so, and so uh, it was very romantic. There was actually a lot of people there on dates, actually. And, uh, and so we, we got there. And um, listen, I'll be the first to admit I'm not an expert in astrology. And by not an expert, I mean I know nothing about astrology. I was learning things that you probably learn in elementary school. I had no idea, like, what. It was amazing. It was, it was you know, mind-blowing. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm like a 1. I, mean, I don't know anything about the stars. And so as the presentation started, this guy who evidently gets paid to talk about uh, the stars and the sky. This guy walked up to the front to begin his introduction, and when he started, I knew that we were in for a treat. Because he started, and I won't be able to do it justice, but he started and he said, hey, thanks everybody for coming tonight. Um, tonight's going to be a special night because tonight I'm going to show you what the night sky looks like in the city of Louisville. Well, I guess, you know, anywhere, 40 degrees latitude. <laughs> and he just started laughing. I didn't know it was a joke, and he, he is cracking himself up. And for the next hour, he just kept cracking jokes about stars and skies and Greek mythology. I just kept looking at Andrew like, I didn't know he was joking. But what was amazing about the presentation was how much joy he got from the sky. Like, I didn't even really like the, what they were talking about, but I liked him because he was so passionate about, about the stars that the sky just brings him so much joy. And that's what 2 Corinthians 9 is talking about, that God loves for people to give generously and crack themselves up. That's what God was talking about. He wants giving to bring you so much joy, like a parent who gets to talk about their kids to strangers. You know, any parents in the room, you've turned into those people. 
You know, like you, you'd be somewhere and it's like, oh, do you have kids? Actually, I do. I've got some pictures right here. Let me, show. oh, you're going to, and see somebody, she did this, you know, and like there's just a joy that comes to your life talking about your kids. The joy that comes to someone who just got done running five or six miles and like, oh, it just feels so good. And people who don't run are like, you feel good after running five or six miles? I never liked soccer. I never watched soccer. I made fun of soccer until about a decade ago, I went to Argentina and I got to watch People who love it, watch it. And it made me love it. Because it brought them so much joy to, to watch it. That's what 2 Corinthians 9 is, is talking about. 2 Corinthians 9 is about really living. Really living. God doesn't want your compliance. God doesn't want your compliance. He wants you to be completely committed and joyful about it. Everybody hear what I'm saying, because we got a lot more to talk about, but, but, but before we go any further, please hear what I'm telling you. God will not make you do anything you don't want to do. Maybe you're here because your spouse made you come. Maybe you are loosely affiliated with religion because your parents made you be affiliated. But in your heart of hearts, you really don't want to be. You really don't want to do it, but you think if you don't do it, you know, something bad's going to happen to you. You're going to let God down or God's going to be disappointed, but that's not the way that God works. God is not requiring you or making you do anything you don't want to do. And that's the beauty of Jesus because religion changes what you do, whether you want to change or not, but Jesus changes what you want to do. And so if you're here and you're like, eh, you know, I mean, I'm here because I got, don't come, don't come. If you don't want to follow Jesus, don't. If you don't want to give, don't. If you don't want to serve, don't. You're not getting extra credit points for doing something that you don't want to do. God wants you to want to. And Jesus changes what you want to do. But it doesn't just end there. That would be phenomenal. But God gives us this promise after give, because he loves a cheerful giver, and God will generously provide all you need, we could stop there, that would be awesome, but then you will always have everything you need, and we could stop there and be like, yes, jet ski, boat, lake house, golf clubs, yes, that's not what he says, everything that you need, and plenty left over to share with others. It's this, it's this cycle of joyful giving that God says, give because you want to, and then when you give because you want to, I'm going to give you more, and because I know you want to, you're going to give more. It's the cycle of giving. We know that we will be joyful when God blesses us after we give, but God wants us to be joyful when we give, when we give, okay? So I was just a little appetizer, all right, for where we're going today. First Corinthians, or First Kings, excuse me, 17, this story that we're going to read is about the prophet named Elijah and, and a widow. And they're living in the middle of a drought, which means they're also living in the middle of a famine. And God today, if you've never heard this story, is going to be crazy. God is going to ask this widow to do something that everyone in the room will feel like is excessive. It's too much. It's too much. But God is setting her up, the widow, to experience full life if she wants it. She doesn't have to. God gives her the choice to experience full life if she wants it. So let's read 1 Kings chapter 17. 
It's going to start with verse 8. Read for a few verses. It's going to be up on the screen. If you want to read along, you can read along with us or find it in your Bible. We'll read here. Here we go. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Seraphath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. Remember real quick what God said. God said, I've already instructed her. So her and God, before he ever showed up, were already having this battle, you know, this inner battle. Because she knows and feels that God is calling her and leading her to do, to make some bed for the prophet. And she's fighting with God about it. And so when he shows up, it's just a confirmation of what God has already been dealing with her about. Okay. And so she said, I don't have anything that God, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. This is an audacious ask by God. This is This is audacious. Elijah tells the widow to take the last supplies she has in her pantry and to make him a sandwich before she feeds herself and her son, and then they're going to die. And this is a great place to stop and to talk about the the elephant in the room when it comes to giving and generosity. Because for people who are uncomfortable with giving, tithing, churches, money, this, this is where they, they would read this story and say, see, classic church move right there, taking advantage of the old women. Classic pastor move right there, Elijah, asking the widow to, to give what she has, even when she doesn't have enough. This is the way it always is in the church. This is the way it always is with the pastor. And if you are cynical and jaded about giving generosity churches, I can understand why you would feel that way when the reality of the story is is that of all the people in the story who were set up in the best scenario, it was her. But I understand why you don't feel that way. There, there was a recent report um, about a, a, a TV evangelist who um, asks his supporters to, to donate and help him raise $54 million to, to buy a jet, and it would be his fourth jet. Um, and listen, I learned a long time ago, don't believe everything you read, and there's more details, so who knows what the whole story is and, and what's true and what isn't true. But I think we could safely all admit that things like that make us sick. That even if there are some details we don't know, the general premise of the whole thing is like, really? Really? There's no doubt people have taken advantage of the system and taken advantage of people, but it still doesn't take away from the principles that are true in the Bible. Bad people don't make true things untrue. Still true, okay? So let's just play out a scenario for a second, okay? Let's assume that I'm here at the church with the staff on a random Tuesday, and the doorbell rings at the church, and standing at the door is, is a widow on welfare, and all she has left to her name is a $5 bill that's in her pocket, 
And she comes into the church and she says, are you the pastor? And I say, yeah, I'm the pastor. And she says, well, all I, I, I want you to know that I was praying this morning and God said that I should give you these last, this last $5 bill. It's all I have left. When I give you this $5 bill, I'm gonna leave this church. I have nothing. I can't pay rent. I can't buy food. I can't put gas in my car. I have nothing. This is all I have. But God said that I should give it to you. Now, if that was the scenario that played out, what should I do in response? Because most of y'all know me. I'm a bleeding heart. I'm gonna be like, here's the five. Let me put a 20 on top of that. Like, I don't wanna take that. And as I tell you that scenario, you're probably thinking, Jason, you cannot take that $5 bill. That's all she has left. You can't take that. But do you know why there's something inside of us that, that feels the need to say, don't take it? It's because we don't truly believe what the Bible says is true. We don't believe that, that it's true. We don't truly believe that people are better off giving instead of keeping. In our heart of hearts, if we just had to be completely honest, we love Jesus, we love the church, we don't even mind giving. But if we were being completely honest, we would say, Jason, I don't actually believe that it's better to give what I need than to keep what it is that I need. I don't actually believe that that's true. We don't know and we aren't certain that the Bible actually teaches that it's better to, to, to give than to keep. And Jesus was actually put in this exact predicament one day. Not, not slightly, exactly put in this predicament one day. We don't have time to read the whole thing, but he was at church, Jesus was, collecting the offering. They did it old school back in the day. Y'all, we don't do it like this no more, but, but Jesus was just by the bucket. He just like sitting there watching everybody put it in and everybody just kind of walked by and like this is Jesus standing there, you know what I mean? And so, but that's not how we do it now. We just got back boxes at the back. But, but Jesus is watching people put their money in the offering when a widow poor widow came forward and gave her very last dollar. She, she gave everything she had. She had nothing left. And this is what Jesus said. Spoiler alert, Jesus did not reach into there and grab her money back and say, baby, you keep this. We don't need you to give that. This is what he said. Jesus said, Mark 12, 43, 44, Jesus called his disciples, teaching moment, called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Now, I've read this story probably a hundred times in my life. I've heard it preached on, and every time I read it, I still kind of snicker and laugh because... We, we don't really believe this is true. We don't really believe this story is true. If I was to give you truth serum today and I was to say, okay, there were 10 people in church and nine people gave $100,000 each and one lady gave a dollar, but she gave more, y'all be like, yeah, no, I get the principle, but she didn't really give more. And Jesus is like, no, she really gave more. Because God doesn't view it the way that we view it. We believe we should give. We believe it's important. And we believe that God blesses people who do give, but we don't really find joy in giving everything we have. We find joy in spending. We find joy in keeping. We find joy in saving, but we don't find joy in, in really giving. And so here is a widow in 1 Kings 
who is propositioned by God to take the little she has left, what she needs in order to survive for one more day, and to not use it on herself, but to give it to God symbolically by using it for God's person. Let's keep reading. But Elisha said to her, don't be afraid. I love that, 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 that Elisha said that. Did you know that do not fear, do not be afraid is the most, the, the, the most popular command in the Bible? It's in the Bible. It's the command in the Bible more than any other command. Do not fear. It's in there 365 times, by the way. One for every day. But, but did you know that it's the, mo, it's, in the, it, it's the command in the Bible more than any other command? And I love that God uses it in an instance when we're talking about giving and money. Because let's just be real. When you're talking about giving and keeping, it is scary. And she has every right to be afraid. And so he says, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said. And she probably thought like, whew. But make a little bread for me first, he says. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. Really big principle right here. He says, give first, use what's left. 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 That's what Elijah tells the widow. Why would God ask this lady to do this? Why would he test her in this way? This seems so cruel. We talked about it last week about, about, uh, about the king and, and he didn't know that he was supposed to keep striking the arrows and it seems like he was kind of set up. Why would God do this to this lady? I got an idea. Give her the supplies. Elijah show up with a grocery bag and say, listen, I know you only got one meal left, but I'm hungry and so God sent groceries with me. You just got to make it. That's not what he does. Like, tell her, okay, I don't have supplies for you, but I can 100% promise you that if you'll make it for me first, then, then you're going to be good and God's going to provide what you need. But he doesn't do that. He gives her no promise, no guarantee, no future scenarios played out, no prophecy about tomorrow. He says, I know what you have. I know what your needs are. But before you do any of that, I want you to do what God's asking you to do first. And I can only speak for myself. So let me do that. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. And I know that sometimes we believe that preachers are like the highest form of discipleship, or we, we believe that pastors are, are like a different level of Christian. Whether we want to or not, sometimes we esteem that. And there are times when I guess that's good, but there are other times when it's not good because it's unreal expectations. Let me just speak for myself, not as a pastor, but just as a person who follows Jesus, just as a Christian. Giving to God, just giving to God in general is not that big of a challenge. And for most of you in the room today, that's true for you. You find some ways to give to God. Giving to God is not that big of a challenge, but giving to God first is a challenge. I'm not talking to you. I'm, I'm talking about me. Giving to God, not that big a challenge. Giving to God first, it's still kind of challenging. And I mean, we've been doing it for 17 years. And still to this day, there is a little part in my head and my heart that says, you don't have to do that. Giving, not that big a challenge. Giving to God first, very challenging. Giving what's left is noble and charitable, but God never asked us to give what's left. He always asks us to give to him first. Important clarifier, not because he needs it, because he does not need it. God doesn't ask you to give because he needs it. God asks you to give because you need it. Let me say that again. 
God doesn't ask you to give because he needs it. God asks you to give because you need it. And if you don't need it, you'll give it freely. But when you believe you need it, it's hard to give it. And so God asks you to give, not because he needs it, but because you need it. And you never know what's most important in your life until you have to make a decision. Like you can talk about and debate about and, you know, use philosophy to talk about, you know, what's most important. But when you come to the point in your life where you have to make a decision, you find out what's most important to you. All of us, all of us. And parents know what it's like to ask your children to do something that they don't want to do. And the Bible describes God as a heavenly father. And here's what I love about the heavenly father is that he could just expect us to do what he asks us to do because he said so. How many parents, that's your go-to? Because I said so. We say that about 100 times a day. Why? Because I said so. And, you know, before you had kids, you were like, I won't say that. I'm going to give my kids a reason. <laughs> All right. And so some of y'all in here, you're like, we're never going to do that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So... Um, he said, because I said so. And so God could do that. God could say, give first, because I said give first, and I'm God, because I said so. But God chooses to bless us for doing something that we're supposed to do anyway. And parents, we know what that's like. You ask your kids to do something that they're supposed to do anyway. Go clean your room. But they do it with such joy, you're like, okay, we're getting ice cream. Clean up the outside. But they do it with such joy and you know what a grind it is when they're like, but I don't want to. Or they try to get out of it or they try to sneak. But on those rare days, like on the full moon and the whatever it is, when they're like, okay, and they do it with such joy, you're like, we're going to Disney World. I, I don't like whatever, whatever we want, it, whatever you want. All they're doing is what we ask them to do. But it's the way that they do it. There's something that causes us as their parent to want to bless them for it. And that's the way that God feels about it. That's the way that God feels about it. Let's finish the story. Keep reading. But Elisha, Elijah, excuse me, said to her, don't be afraid. Go and do what you said. Make a little bread for me first and use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. And then this is what he says. For this is what the Lord God says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the, line, the time when the Lord sends rain and crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. I love this about God. I love that God always comes through. I love that God always comes through. But honestly, before he does... It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And so maybe you hear, us, you hear me read that story today and you're like, okay, well, if I was in her shoes, once Elijah said that if I would do it, that God would make sure that I was taken care of, then I would have done it too. Awesome, because he does. He does say that to you and to me. But it doesn't make it any less terrifying waiting on God to come through. Today's message it's not about giving. It's about living. Today's message is not about giving. It's about giving first. Giving first. 
Not because God needs it. Not because the church needs it. Not because I need it. But because you need it. You need it. And when you give God what you're convinced you need, you're convinced that God is all you need. When you give God what you're convinced you need, Jason, you don't understand. Look, I got this. I need this. You're, you're saying give to God and I got this. When you give to God what you're convinced you need, and hear me, you really need it. It's because you're convinced that God is all you need. And so maybe you're here today and you're unfamiliar with the idea of giving to God, or maybe you're here today and you're too familiar with the idea of giving to God. You're cynical, you're jaded. No matter what camp you fall into, let me explain it to you as simple as I can. God wants you to give to him first. Everybody say first. Before anything else, because he wants to be first in your life before anything else. There there it is, summed up in the simplest way that it can be put. God wants you to give to him first before anything else because he wants to be first in your life before anything else. He doesn't make your car break down if you don't want to. He doesn't give you cancer if you don't. He doesn't punish you until you begrudgingly see it his way. No. 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 He just wants to be first. But he's never going to make you make him first because you can't. You can't make somebody believe something is most important if they don't believe it's most important. You can't do it. And so God's not going to try. He gives you the opportunity to really live, but you will not really live until you really give. You will never really live until you really give. So how does the Bible say that those of us who follow Jesus should give? Love that question. Let me tell you. Number one, the Bible says that we should tithe. You say, well, what is that? Tithing is when we take the first 10% of the money that comes into our life and we give it to the church. That's the way that we give it to God. You say, wow, that works out well for you. I didn't make that up. That's what the Bible says. He says tithe. He says tithe. Bring the 10%. And you're like, (laughs) I can't. I'm about to cough now. I can't do that. (laughs) I can't do that because I need that money over here. God says, bring it to me first. Not because I need it, not because the church needs it, not because the pastor needs it. No, because you need it. You need it. So we, we tithe. The Bible talks then about offerings in that order. And offerings is just giving because we're excited to give. Like, I can give more. I'll give some more. It's just giving offerings. But what's interesting is the Bible talks about it that we should not give offerings before we give tithe. And we don't have time to get into all that, but because tithe is about first. It's not about money. It's about first. So God wants it first. Then he says, hey, after you tithe, just be a generous giver. Just be a joyful giver. And then the third thing that God tells us to do is to help, help people. I got a neighbor who needs some help. I got a friend whose car broke down. I got, and we just want to get to that. God says, do all that, but do it in that order. Bible says, tithe, give, and help. Tithe, give, and help. And so if you're here today, I know like some of you right now, you're looking at me like, Jason, I brought my friend today. 
Six months I've been trying to get them coming. You come with giving today? Yes, absolutely. I talk about giving because you'll never really live until you really give. I'm so excited you're here to get to hear this because this is the heartbeat of this church. To give. To give. And so if you're here today and you're like, I've started a relationship with Jesus and I'm trusting him a step at a time, I believe that the reason you're here today is because God is ready for you to take another step, a terrifying step, an absolutely terrifying step. But God blesses us to the degree of the difficulty of the decision. Believe that. The harder it is to obey, the bigger the blessing. So my prayer for you is that you give like life depends on it, because it does. Let's pray.